Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Did you guys enjoy Pastor Tito last week? Yeah. Good, good man, good brother. As I mentioned, uh, we've become good friends, you know, pretty good friends over the last couple of years, and uh, I'm working with him. We are going to do something like a marriage renewal, a mini one-and-a-half-day thing, probably here. We want to keep the cost, and we'll probably have a low amount of you know, expense where you can make sure that the meals are covered, and uh, so that's something that uh, he's done a lot of. The Lord's used him in a good way there. Uh, I know he was glad to be here. I think the Lord gave him anointed message, um, processing pain, and so I, if you didn't, didn't hear it, you certainly can go out to our YouTube channel and check it out or on our website. And I believe that you'll, you'll be blessed. And it was great to see the altar filled with people just praying uh, a week ago. Nehemiah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hands. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep it as well. Uh, starting with verse 1, Nehemiah 5. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. They, there were also those who said, We borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and, land and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. Indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. Is it not in our power to redeem them? For other men have our lands and our vineyards. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? I'm going to pray over this message, and also we pray for revival every week. This message, uh, this text, certainly is a, a text where there needed to be some revival to take place. Our nation needs it. Uh, we need it. There's still areas that God still pointing, spotlighting in our life, too, to say, um, that area right there needs to be yielded, needs to be cleaned, needs to be restored. And we'll look at some of these things this morning. But let's pray for our nation and also for this study and, and for this church. Lord, we thank you again this morning for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you have a mind to restore, a heart to restore, and you have the power to restore. Our nation, Lord, needs revival and restoration. Many people are crying out in pain. Some, uh, Lord, have been harmed. Some, Lord, have done the harming. Lord, some uh, are in anguish. Some, Lord, uh, are in addictions. Lord, we need the outpouring of your spirit for souls to be saved and lives to be changed. And, Lord, we need revival to begin with us. Lord, we still have sins and weights that you want to deal with. And, Lord, it was great to see this altar filled last week. But we pray, Lord, that more than an altar filled, our hearts would be filled. That we wouldn't just rend our garments, but, Lord, our hearts would be rent. And, Lord, that you would do a new work, a fresh work. We have less than five months left in this year, Lord. We pray that you would do more in these last five months than the previous seven combined. And, Lord, because you're not finished. There are many souls that need to be saved, many lives that need to be changed. Lord, we pray that even what we've experienced, Pastor Randy, going to be home with you, Lord, these things would only highlight for us that we must run the race with endurance, yes. that we must finish well. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at these walls being rebuilt, you'll rebuild walls in this room too. Lord, you, you, would, you would rebuild walls in this nation, in our community around us. We met parents and children this week, Lord, that need to know you as Lord and Savior. So we just pray, Lord, you would anoint this time. Lord, that you would remove any distraction. Lord, remove the enemy and we would hear from Jesus by this Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, anoint your word, anoint this time, and Lord, do a work in us that when we leave here, we are changed, more like you than we came in. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So, I'll just read verse 6 just to kind of give you a preview, because we're going to get all the way through verse 13, but look at verse 6 for one second, then I'll go back, and we'll really start with verses 1 through 5. This is Nehemiah when he heard all this. And I became very angry. 
when I heard their outcry in these words. He became very angry. He heard that these people were in anguish. He knew that um, there was a lot more going on there than maybe even he understood. When God does a rebuilding and restoration project, understand that God is interested in everything and everyone affected by the ruins of life and of sin. Would you agree with me that sin affects a lot of people? Not just the person that does the sin, right? Oh, it's just not going to bother anyone. It's just me doing... No, no. A lot of innocent people are always touched by sin. But I think we would all agree that restoration projects, when you think about restoration projects, maybe from a construction standpoint, they're not an overnight success, are they? But they often come in phases. I've been um, working on repainting my office. This has been quite a project for me. All the furniture moves. and It's been a lot of little phases. Some things, though, when it, when it comes to restoring things, you ever seen like a house restored? It's all, you know, it's got rotted areas, termite areas. Some things, though, will never be repaired and restored or even noticed until other things are first repaired. You ever start something and you've been working on a project, maybe repairing something in your own home, only to find three other things that you were unaware of that needed repair? You, get, you, you love it when you get the news. They say, uh, I hate to break this to you, but um, you've got a bigger problem, right? They were hidden or less noticeable than the things that are prominent or visible. Now, if you approach Jerusalem, remember Mount of Olives, you look to, the, uh, look to the east there. If you approach Jerusalem, as Nehemiah originally did, and you were coming down the Mount of Olives, the missing sections of walls and the gates, they were wide open. You could see those walls. You could see those sections. They were big enough to see. But the issues in people's lives are not as clear, are they? You can't always see that. People hide things well. Some people may not have even been in the field of view, but everyone and everything is in the field view of God, right? Amen. There's nothing that God doesn't have a blind spot. God doesn't say, you know, I could see everything, but I just couldn't see that one area. And his sending of Nehemiah to rebuild and repair is a comprehensive work. It's an all-encompassing work. In other words, God has sent his servant to uncover piece by piece the physical bricks. Remember they had the rubble that was laying there that need repairing, but also the spiritual condition that needs repairing. God's always more important. He, we got some projects that need to be done around here, but they're not as important as the hearts of people. They, they should work together. They should have some common connection, but God's always looking at the spiritual repairs. And the work here in chapter 5 apparently comes to a complete stop. All of a sudden, the workforce comes to a screeching halt. And it's not due to the enemy. It's not due to the enemies that have been threatening their lives. No, this is internal strife. We have internal things too, don't we? By ourselves. We don't, we don't need anyone's help for workers to stop, do we? We don't need anyone's help to kind of get things wrong. We have ourselves to deal with. But then within a family, I know some of your families look perfect. But if we could watch you all week, every now and then there's strife, right? Things aren't going according to the peace and plan of God. And here in chapter 5, there's this internal strife, but it's because of a couple things. It's because of greed. We've got a lot of greed in this country, by the way. Would you agree? Well, it's not just here. It's around the world. We, we have greed happening here. There's pride. There's callousness towards other people. But God, he always has a heart to restore, doesn't he? Whether you're the cause or the casualty, whether you're the cause or the casualty, God wants to restore. Do you know what God wants to restore? You know, right now, our nation has... Anything that someone finds out about someone else, it lights up Twitter like you wouldn't believe. 
It lights up Facebook. I, I got to tell you, the people that are pointing fingers the most, I, if they don't know the Lord, I feel sorry for them standing before God someday. I read the comments that people write, hashtag me too, all this other stuff. All that stuff is tragic, true. But a lot of the people that are yelling the loudest have a whole lot of hidden stuff too. And God will expose it all at some point. See, God wants to heal the people that have been hurt and damaged, but he also wants to heal, and this might not always feel good to us because we always want absolute justice, except for ourselves. <laughs> we want justice for everybody except for ourselves. We want mercy for us, but justice for everybody else. This, is the, this was the attitude of Jonah, by the way. Jonah was like, slaughter the Ninevites. God's like, I want to save them, but you don't know how bad they are, God. God's like, I know how bad they are. That's why I'm sending you. And Jonah says, I'm going the other direction then. This is the way a lot of people, we have a lot of pride now, even in the church, not necessarily here, there could be, I don't know, but in the church at large and in our nation where everyone is pointing to everybody else saying, you're the problem. A lot of pride, a lot of things that are in the heart that God, he wants to heal hurting people. We absolutely have compassion for people that have been abused or that have been mistreated. And we as the church should be the first to their defense. On the other hand, we have to also forgive people who have done abusing. And that's not easy to do, is it? And we're going to see here in this text, God wants to heal both parties. He really does. And by the way, if he doesn't heal both parties, the cycle will never be broken. Do you understand that? If you only healed victims and, and there was no restoration to people causing problems, then there would never be, the cycle would never be broken. So the, and God has to do the work in every part of a country, every part of a family, every part of a church family. So whether you're the cause or the casualty, God still wants to bring restoration. Do we share God's heart? God so loved the world. world, those that are causing big problems and those that are on the receiving end of big problems. Right? right. God also has the means to restore. He and he alone can bring the needed conviction. Now, people that are causing a lot of pain need to be convicted. Amen? That's why Jonah was sent to Nineveh. And the, the king of Nineveh ended up in sackcloth and ashes repenting. This was a wicked, evil man that had killed and marauded nations. But God has the means to bring conviction. You will not bring conviction by yelling at people. But you can if you share the Bible, if you share the Scripture. God has the means to restore. He and he alone can bring the needed conviction, the needed compassion. I was not born with compassion, nor were you. That's something God bestows upon us by the work of his Holy Spirit. He can bring the right spiritual motivation. People have motivation, but is it godly spiritual motivation? Is it motivated by the will of God? Is it motivated by the Spirit of God? Issues that have been brewing, issues that have been swept under the carpet, issues that have been ignored, issues that have been belittled, and even perpetuated, can and do end when God sends restoration. Amen? God can restore anything, any country, any nation, any family problem. Say, well, you don't know our family. We've got seven generations of brokenness. God can restore it. Doesn't matter. God can restore it. Nehemiah doesn't know he's stepping into a long time of broken things here, not just the walls. Some of you, you may remember in the mid-'80s. Now, I graduated high school in 87, so there was a Bruce Hornsby song called The Way It Is. Remember that? Some things will never change. Remember those, those lines? Uh, greed and pride and condescension, strife, they seem to fit the bill. Don't you think those things have been with us for, since the dawn of time? Greed, strife, condescension. Let's face it, some things will never change unless God brings about change. Some things will absolutely never change unless God brings about the change. Because we couldn't change ourselves. It took Jesus dying on a cross, and it took his shed blood to bring about a change that could never happen unless God stepped in. And this is what we see taking place here. The project and the progress 
of the wall has made tremendous strides. They've been making good progress up to half the wall. Gates have gone back up. Even in the face of fear and opposition, they have stood strong and are building sword in one hand, trowel in another hand, making progress, even as these improvements are being made. And then things come to a screeching halt. And a lack of love is revealed that was lurking inside the people. A lack of love reveals a fractured family. Looked good from the outside. Everybody working together, everybody doing well. But there was a lack of love and there was a fracture. And a group of Nehemiah's Jewish brethren make it known that they need as much help as the broken walls. Back to verse 1, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. We are sons and daughters that we may live. And it goes on, they even were selling their own children into slavery because of their own brethren, their own brothers and sisters in, in the tribes there. This is ancient Judah, Judea, Jerusalem. They were all Jewish. And instead of actually taking care of one another, there was a group actually taking advantage of others. They're neglected. And they had the same need and care of attention that the city walls are receiving. They need to be rebuilt. They need to be restored. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to take a look at this morning is what I've titled Reduced. Reduced, what do I mean by that? The walls are being rebuilt. The gaps in the city are being closed. That's all a good thing. The city's being strengthened, but not everyone is feeling confident and encouraged. You know, sometimes even when a church is growing, we're growing, not everybody is encouraged. Some people may still be, feel like they're being left behind. Not everyone here is feeling confident about what's taking place. Some feel like they're on the outside looking in. And frankly, they are. They are, all, they are on the outside looking in. Most of the people... And evidently those that are here in verses 1 through 5 have stopped their normal routines to help rebuild the wall. Poor, middle class, wealthy, pretty much everybody has stopped to help with this project. Nehemiah has gained the trust and the help of pretty much everybody. Meanwhile, as everybody stops some of their normal routines, not working as much hours, Meanwhile, the tax bills are still due. You ever feel that? The IRS never cares about your bad week, right? The tax bills are still due. To add to the financial adversity, the enemy, probably the enemy, we don't know. Could have been the Lord, but a famine happens right in the middle of the rebuilding project. You ever have something happen right in the middle? You said, it couldn't, this week couldn't get worse, Right? This month couldn't be more difficult than a famine hits. There's a famine going on right here. It's mentioned right in the text, verse 3, because of the famine. So they're trying to rebuild a city while a famine's going on, and they're not making as much money. They're working less hours, but they're putting in more hours on this big project. You might have a family situation sometimes that requires more of your time than you needed or even thought you could do. And sometimes those things happen in life, and you have to put in that time, whether you like it or not, right? And if this famine's taking place, the enemy, whether he caused it or not, it's certainly something that Satan will exploit. There's no indication that anyone in this scene is lazy or not working hard, or particularly those that, that are having the fi most financial stress. There is evidence, there is evidence that the people that are the leaders are the most lazy. Hmm. You sometimes see that, right? Power structures, things like that. There is evidence that they might be, but we don't know exactly who is who all the time in the text here, but we do realize that everyone's working pretty hard. Uh, there was the, the one group, there was one group back in, in chapter 3, uh, the leaders of the Tekoa Heights did not put their shoulders to the work, verse 5, to some of those leaders, if there was anyone that was called out as lazy, it was some of the leaders of the Tekoa Heights, but we don't know exactly who else might have fit that description. 
Nevertheless, uh, there's indication that the tough times are not impacting everyone the same. Not everyone's feeling. Remember when we had the financial crisis in 2008? You know, there were some people that didn't feel that at all. You might have felt it a lot. Not everybody. For some of those around Jerusalem and Judea, their, their lives, though, for some of these people that are crying out, their lives had been reduced to barely hanging on. They're barely hanging on. They're barely making it. Their anguish and their cries have been ignored by their neighbors, ignored by their Jewish leaders. But the Lord has been aware. And he has sent Nehemiah, not just for the rebuilding of the city, but he sent Nehemiah because the Lord is going to respond to their pain. And again, I implore you to check out Pastor Tito's message from last week. It's great on dealing with that. But in Psalm 107, 28, it says, They cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. You know, people may not care about other people, but God still cares. Amen? God still cares. I want to be on God's caring side. How about you? But God still cares. And in some cases, these people that are crying out to Nehemiah, they don't, they don't know who they can cry out to. If they cried out to their leaders, it won't help because their leaders are the ones that are taking advantage of them. So Nehemiah is an outside voice. They're like, finally, someone we can speak to. Nehemiah, this is what's happening. They're taking our land. We're mortgaging everything. We can't pay the tax bill. We can't pay our mortgage. We can't eat the famine. They have food. We don't. And they're the leaders. And now they're taking our land on top of it. They cry out to Nehemiah. Their ownership's been reduced to zero. Their possessions are down to little or nothing. Their hopes of a future reduced to thinking they're going to be in future bondage, indentured servitude, slavery. This is what they have to look forward to. Meanwhile, the city's walls are going up. Improvements there. The wealthy, the leaders, they're doing great. And they're, they, what about us? Not going to be anything left for us but slavery. And not only do their Jewish brethren leaders not particularly care, as I mentioned, they are the ones that have taken advantage of all this. For profit. They're charging interest, huge amounts of interest. It's anywhere between 12 to 50% interest. Different scholars or studies believe. They're charging them this interest, confiscating land and property from anyone who can't pay it. Now, under Mosaic law, and I don't have time to get into all of this, but under Mosaic law, every seven years, land was supposed to be returned. So you people... God had already had a plan that nations should not go into perpetual debt. Every seven years, debts were to be relieved. Wouldn't that be nice? I, I'm having to, my girls are becoming, well, they're already teenagers, but we're having to look at cars and stuff. And so, oh, I love the car dealership scene. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm ta- you know, I, I got a chance back when I was in the business world, I got the tour of the Ford Rouge plant where they make the F-150s, and I toured the whole thing. Uh, and Henry Ford, when he first introduced that, the goal was that any American could buy a vehicle with cash. Today, today I'm telling you, the, industry, the industry's mindset is to enslave you into payments for life. There is, again... Nehemiah is not a book specifically about money, but you're going to see as we go through it, God deals with money a lot, and where greed and money stifle the work of God, where greed and money stifle people, where it stifles the work that God's wanting to do. So it's just interesting to me that God thought about these things, even way back in the Mosaic Law, 50 years Year of Jubilee, everything was to be forgiven. People released from indentured servitude, all this stuff. And, and they weren't even to ever enslave their own brethren. And they were never to charge interest to their own brethren. They were ignoring the law altogether, the Mosaic law. They were still under the law, but they were ignoring it altogether. All this seems to be completely ignored by them. They're just doing whatever they feel like they want to do. If it hurts these other people... They don't care. And so the people, they're at the bottom. 
are in more and more anguish and stress. The walls may be going up, but there's also walls going up between the people. Satan loves to put walls between people. He loves to sow discord. He still does it. He's the one that sows discord among the brethren. He'll use any means. He'll use something dumb someone said. He'll use a mistake. He'll use anything, greed, covetousness, pride, anything to put up walls between people. Brother and sister, make sure that we're doing anything we can to tear walls down. It's always doing this. We've seen this tragically and historically in our own nation. We've seen racism, segregation, greed. God hates, 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 hates all of those things. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. He hates those things. And anyone that tries to say, well, the Bible says that it, it, they're representing Satan, not God. Now, I understand that this church, we're not perfect. Did you know that? <laughs> we're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. If you're looking for one, there's one down the street. I don't, I don't know who they are, but there's one out there somewhere. <laughs> we all have flaws. And praise God, I don't, think, I don't think in this church, I don't think racism, favoritism, charging interest and bankrupting each other is the current things we're dealing with here. I don't think those are the issues that we're dealing with. Or greed or other issues. But... By way of application, even if those aren't our current issues that we're dealing with in this body, even if those aren't the issues we're dealing with in this church family, by way of application, little groups and cliques can still form. That can happen. It doesn't have to be intentional. Unintentional things still have a wall-building effect, don't they? You have to be intentional about noticing things. They can build little walls, little clicks. We'll say, well, mine is just because I just want to hang out who I'm familiar with or who I have a preference with. Be careful of that. You can set up walls between people. You've got to look beyond yourself. We can easily become blind to the needs of others because we become insulated. God didn't call us to become insulated. He called us to look out and see things from the perspective of the Lord. If you're unaware of other people's hurts and needs you'll have no inclination to help. And a lot of people like that. They don't want to know about hurts and needs. Because if I don't know about them, I'm not responsible for them. Nehemiah wanted to know, remember? He asked, way back chapter 1, how are the people? How is the city? If you don't know about needs in this body, you're too far away from the fire. You need to be a little closer. That you would know what to be praying for. Those prayer needs. We're growing but we can all be growing more and be more in touch and more caring. The callousness here may be off the charts, but I don't even want a little bit of callousness in my life. How about you? I mean, say, well, I'm not charging anyone 50% interest. Well, who are you helping? Well, no one. In God's eyes, you may be in the same place of callousness from his perspective. Understand, the more every person, every single person in CCR cares to help and assist the other brothers and sisters among us, especially those that are recently saved, newly saved, new in the Lord, and growing and attempting to reverse their pre-salvation date, they need help. Don't you want to help people? God sends Nehemiah. Nehemiah is there to help. The others were there to take advantage of. It's so important um, when we do this work and we invest in other people, the more we have unity, the more we have love, the more we have healing, the more we'll see the power of the Holy Spirit. God is in the healing business. Satan is in the slavery bondage business. Two opposite kingdoms. It's so important that we don't form cliques and we continuously look to keep walls from going up. One of the things that Jesus always did, if you study his life, one of the things Jesus always did is he always found people who were overlooked. He was always looking for overlooked people. The Samaritan woman, everyone would have bypassed the city altogether, much less her personally. The lame, the lepers, oh, they wouldn't go anywhere near lepers. The sick, 
the hated, the tax collectors. They hated the tax collectors, Jesus. Zacchaeus, where do you live? Right? The prostitutes, it didn't matter who it was. If you were an outcast, Jesus was more than likely looking for you specifically. That was his heart. Not the heart here uh, of these Jewish brethren. Jesus said in Luke 14, 13, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Hmm. Even for a church in 2018, Jesus said, when you, in, when you have meals, start inviting people that could never pay you back. How are we doing this? How am I doing? How are you doing with really getting involved with people that can never pay you back and investing in their life? How is the church doing in serving the hurting? It's easy to look at this text and say, well, that's a problem we don't deal with. We're not charging interest. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're not hating people. We've given up racism, this, that, and the other. We don't do that stuff anymore. But God says, I'm calling you. The New Testament is all about being called to a higher plane, isn't it? Jesus started introducing, saying, hey, you think that's a big deal? I want you to walk two miles for those Roman soldiers. What? I thought I was, my job was to hate them. No, he's called us to a higher plane. Nehemiah knows that the rebuilding cannot resume until love and unity are restored and established. Did you hear that? Nehemiah knows the rebuilding cannot resume until love and unity are established. He didn't know how much was going on behind the scenes, but God is revealing what's in the heart here. And here's the thing. Even if, think about this, even if you rebuild a city, even if you rebuild a city in the walls and you don't have love and unity, what do you really have? Right? We fought a civil war in this nation. And we traded slavery for segregation. What did you really get? Nothing. Right? In that sense, right? You didn't get, there was no value. There wasn't real, unless God changes hearts, what do you really have? Right? God's always in the business of changing hearts because you can build really pretty buildings and rebuild everything, and then inside, if there's really not love and unity, you have a problem. You can have a beautiful house and a lousy marriage, right? Say, hey, we just, we just won the lottery. Do you ever know how many people get divorced after winning the lottery? <laughs> have you ever read these things? It blows your mind. You think, hold on here. This should make your wildest dreams come true, and instead, Satan has your wildest Evils happen in your hearts, right? See, you can have a city rebuilt, and God is looking deeper. He's like, I don't want just the city walls rebuilt. I want the people to be in unity and in love and harmony. And by the way, if this, this goes to prove, if these are Jewish and Jewish, if people didn't divide on one thing, they'd divide on something else. Study the whole world. Study world history. It doesn't take much. Cain was the, f the first internal civil war was Cain versus Abel. They were brothers, right? There was not race involved. There was not, for to, to our knowledge, all it was was one thought the other one was favored by God and said, I don't like this, right? So people, all, God is always dealing with these issues. And there's always, and Satan's desire is to reduce people down to Nothing but bondage and slavery. I'm not, I'm not talking right now about physical slavery. I'm talking about spiritual that bondage. Jesus came to set us free from sin. And G Nehemiah is sent to set the people free, not just from a city broken down, but their hearts. We've got some outdoor, indoor improvements that I mentioned that we'll be doing. We're not doing them on this property to impress anyone or to look more polished. We're doing them to minister to people. That's all. If that's not the heart, then we shouldn't do it at all. You know, it's not to impress people. Not any of that stuff. We've got to do these things for the right reasons. Let's move on. We'll see how far I get here before we have the Lord's Supper. Rebuked. We saw Nehemiah's response. When he, when he heard about this, when he heard about this taking advantage of their own brothers. Verse 6, and I became angry when I heard their outcry. 
And after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. Nehemiah is prosecuting the case as judge. Well, he's bringing a jury of, of their peers. But he's prosecuting the case saying, you guys are out and out hateful towards your own brothers and sisters. He's called them out. He's angry about it. Within any, within any group of people or family or organization or nation, there will almost always be some with more of a voice than others. There will always be some with more of a voice than others. There's always people that have almost no voice at all. The unborn in this nation have no voice at all. None, unless you and I speak. But some people in society have no voice unless someone speaks up for them. Abused children, sexually or physically, need someone to stand up for them. Amen? Amen. Some people don't have a voice. I have more of a voice than other people do. I know that. Not that I chose it. Matter of fact, if I could, uh, Lord, I might choose a different path. But God said, no, this is what I want you to do. I have more of a voice than some people. And someday I'll give an account to God, how did I use the voice he gave me? I will give an account for every word. Lord, was this from you, or was this just me popping off? I'll give an account for everything. Did I use my voice to encourage and build up, or was it for some self-centered use? There's a lot of people that have a voice, whether they're leaders, whether they're pastors, and all their voices about themselves. Look what I did. Look what I built. Look what I've done. Or is it about the Lord and about others? The problem with many people uh, that are sitting, at least in their minds, in some great place of prosperity, and it was, it was the case here in ancient Jerusalem, it's still the case now, the problem with many people that have this, in their mind, this perfect place of prosperity and means is that they often, because of what they have, they have no one to challenge them for their air of superiority because they're surrounded by a peer group that has the same air of superiority. So they coddle each other's and this is all through history. It's called an aristocracy, right? It, it, it's it, it's, it's an elite group that they don't challenge each other because they would be indicting themselves. They have no corrective voice, but thank God for people like Nehemiah, where God sends a prophet and says, I could care less about your position. I could care less about that you're the leader. He's going to have a corrective voice. Enter Nehemiah. He's sent by God to build, but he's also sent to shake things up where needed. Isn't that great? He's not just sent to build. He's sent to shake things up in order to bring about and reveal revival that there would be a unified heart for God. In some respects, Nehemiah is dealing with attitudes very common in our own country today. In his book, How Much is Enough?, Arthur Simon pinpoints the attitudes that are so pervasive in our nation and sadly even common in the American church. He writes in chapter 5, the, the title of chapter 5 is called The Poverty of Riches. The Poverty of Riches. Jesus actually says this to the church of Laodicea. He says, you think you're rich and you're poor and you're naked and you're blind, even though they were monetarily rich. This chapter called The Poverty of Riches, it says, if trust, i.e. trust in God, is the first casualty love is the next. In other words, when we stop trusting God, we'll stop loving. Addiction to mammon, that was what Jesus was referring to, which is money or material gains. The addiction to, so let it put in our turn, the addiction to money and material gains makes us forget others. This is what's written in his book. Preoccupied with keeping what we have or getting what we do not have, the needs of others fade from our thoughts. It is not so much that we wish them harm. It is that we have no wishes for them at all. They become non-entities, abstractions. Writer James Fallops observes, the way a rich nation thinks about its poor is always convoluted. The richer people become in general, the, uh, the richer the people become, in general, the easier it is, theoretically, uh, it becomes for them to share with people who are left out. Theoretically. But the richer people become, the less they naturally stay in touch with the realities of life at the bottom. And the more they naturally prefer to be excited about their own prospects rather than concerned about someone else's. Isn't that true? We see this again and again. 
the more people have, the less they care often. And this is what was taking place. The more they had acquired, they were even okay with taking everything from what their own brothers and sisters had. They were so self-centered, they had no, self, they had no pity at all. Couldn't pity anybody. Now Nehemiah was angry. This got him hot. He was you, Later, he gets really angry. So, you know, you think he's angry here. He really gets angry later. But Nehemiah was angry, but it was a righteous anger, a very focused and caring anger on behalf of those that are mistreated and hurt. If you've ever been angry about certain sin, that's not always a bad thing. It, it would be good to God, for God to stir a little righteous anger sometimes. We should be passionate and compassionate enough to get a little righteous anger about discord about disunity, about people being left out, about people being mistreated, about people being ignored. That should bother us. It shouldn't be, oh, who cares? I got what I need. Inside the church family or outside, Jesus cares about both. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus cares about both. And before we preach and advise and rebuke, we always need to look inside. Let's get a little angry with ourselves first, right? Make sure that we take the speck and the plank and two-by-fours out of our own eyes first before we start addressing everybody else. But I think Nehemiah had done that. He was, in a, he was in a clean state, not a perfect state, but he was in a clean state that he could see clearly. The Bible says, take it out that you may see clearly, then address. But he wasn't doing those things. He was saying, this has to stop. This is wrong. This is evil. This is sinful. Nehemiah... We see in verse 7, he was wise enough to show restraint. He says, after serious thought. You ever had serious thought before you hit send on something? <laughs> like this. After serious thought, I did not hit send, right? After serious thought, backspace, 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 <laughs> right? Backspace. Oh, one more backspace, right? Right? After serious thought, a little bit of prayer. Get it on my knees. Oh, I don't need to send it at all. Yeah. Right? But then if something's really, really, sometimes, you know when God's really, when you have to address something, you don't want to address it. That's what's taking place. Nehemiah didn't want this, hey, I want to confront a bunch of people that could kill me. They have the power structure. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you must confront. This sin has to stop. This bondage has to stop. This condescension, this hatred, this callousness has to stop. And he was wise enough to show restraint and wait for God to give the right response. He rebukes them because there was nobody else that would. There was nobody else that was going to rebuke them. But if it's done by the Holy Spirit, God will anoint the rebuke. Amen? Amen. He'll anoint it. Well, you know, if every time in my ministry, if I've had to step into someone's life and say, look, I don't want to share this with you, but this, is, this isn't going to, this is going to, and in disaster if you keep doing this, right? This will not end well. This is, not, this is going to hurt a lot of people. I, you can only pray, God, give me after serious thought and prayer that the words would be received on fertile hearts. Amen? Even these, you say, how are these people here? But amazingly, they do. And by the way, the Lord, you know, he has me say things every now and then, even from the pulpit that will step on some toes. But if I don't say things that will step on toes. Who in America is going to be saying it? Your boss? Right? They're not going to preach the word to you. They're going to, they're going to affirm worldly thinking. Right? We're here to disrupt worldly thinking. Amen. That you would actually be heavenly minded. Right? That you would hear from the Lord. If, if we don't say the very words of Scripture and let them step on our toes then we're wasting our time, right? And God sent Nehemiah to say, make sure that this does a cleaning work. You don't want something that just, if you're going to clean something, you want it to make sure it works. And God gives them a word, and they receive it well. I'm going to go for it. We're going to wrap this up. Look at, look at what takes place. He says, what you are doing is not good. Verse 9, should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations and our enemies? I also, with my brethren and servants, and lending them money and grain. He says, I'm doing the opposite of you're doing. You're stealing from them. I'm giving them money. I'm giving them grain. 
I'm pouring into their lives. He says, please let this, let us stop this usury. He actually includes himself, us, which is good because we're all sinners. We have an us mentality when it comes to sin. But he says, look, I'm actually trying to help them. The very money I'm lending them, they're paying straight to you. Imagine this. You're trying to help somebody out of a ditch. You give it to them, and another person comes along, puts them back, and just takes the money. That's what they were doing. He says, restore to them this day their lands, their vineyards, their olives grove, their houses, also a hundredth of the money. Oh, by the way, give them interest back, and the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, everything you've charged them. By the way, Nick, uh, in the New Testament, Zacchaeus went and did all this. He went and restored even over above and beyond what the law said he should because he was that convicted of his sin. He goes on. So they said, this is a great praise here, we will restore it. And we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priest and required of them, we'll move this last one, then I called the priest and required of them an oath from them that they would do according to the promise. So I shook out the fold of my garment. This is symbolic. So may God shake out from man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise even thus he may be shaken out and emptied and all the assembly said amen and praise the Lord and the people did according to the promise a lot of people would rather have revenge than revival a lot of people would rather have revenge than revival but God is in the restoration and revival amen even someone that has hurt you and harmed you and, and maybe even hated you, God would rather them be restored and you be restored and all be restored. But some people say, no, I'd rather actually hold on to my hatred and them never get away with it. But what took place here is really the heart of God, restoration. There can never be restoration until people hear God, literally, but not just with their ears, but down in their hearts. They respond to God, they admit, and then they humble themselves. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you know it. If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and stealing from in, in callous hearts and taking interest, all that wicked, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Look, if God didn't forgive me of my sins when I got saved at the age of 26, then I could never be in any way, shape, form ministering as I am here this morning. Not at all. But even though people in verses 1 through 5 were suffering the most, God wants to actually fix those that are causing the problem and heal those that are on the end of it. Amen? That's what God does. He comes in and he heals. Zacchaeus didn't have to take advantage of people anymore. Now he was an honest tax collector. There are such things, right? He became an honest one. Restoration always involves, though, that sin has to be dealt with. The people said, he said, stop this. He rebuked them. I love that Nehemiah didn't have to preach a long message. The Holy Spirit just went straight in. This was a short message. He would have thought, this is not going to work. This is going to take months of convincing. I'm going to have to drag out every document. I might get killed in the process. He spoke the Holy Spirit, and everyone says, we'll restore it all. You're right. We've sinned against them. Everything restored. Greed, covetousness, callous, careless hearts. They can all be replaced with the love of God if the Holy Spirit is heard and responded to with humility. What happens? When people really change, they become Christ-like, loving, compassionate. Truth and preaching and sound doctrine is always going to be necessary to bring conviction. Nehemiah did not say... I hate you guys. He said, what you're doing is wrong. Do you see the difference? What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is sin. He did not say, I hate you and I want to kill you. He became angry at the sin, but he still loved the sinner. He said, what you're doing is wrong. 
And when the scripture is presented correctly, it can actually do what you and I can't ever do, and that's actually change people's mind. You will never see a Twitter-Facebook argument ever change anyone's mind, ever. You have a better chance of getting to Mars than, than two people that have an opposite. I'm liberal, I'm conservative, I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, I'm this, I'm that. You will, they will never see the light from each other's point of view, ever. But if you say, the Lord says, and I love you anyway, it's disarming. It's disarming. Jesus came to disarm principalities and powers. And he disarmed the people here. They heard it. They restored. O's are made. Things are fully given back. Only a real heart change brings real change. Amen? Amen? Amen. I've been lately having fun with my Vitamix. <laughs> I post something, you know, and I've been putting all these different concoctions in. But, you know, I, I was thinking about from a spiritual perspective. You know, I had my frozen bananas in there and different things, peanut butter. You, until things are actually broken up, they can't, and then they have to be blended together, you don't get the beauty of it all coming together until things are broken up. And God had to do this here. He had to break up the fallow ground of the heart. Then he can re-blend the people back together, and they can once again be a functioning, unified family. Amen? God does that work. We can't restore ourselves. You understand that, right? We cannot restore ourselves, but we can respond to God who can bring restoration. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we, we thank you that you are the God that restores. You bring healing. You bring restoration. And Lord, it's our desire this morning that you would bring a healing work in us. And as we're going to partake together of the Lord's Supper, we pray, Lord, that even now we would just... Not looking to the left or the right, but look in our own hearts. Lord, what are those things that are callous in our hearts, that are putting up walls, that are self-centered, that are covetousness in us? Lord, we pray that you would cleanse and forgive us. And Lord, that we would, you would give us vision to see other people in need. And we would be repairers, restorers by the work of your spirit. And just with your heads bowed, I just want to pray with us together for just a moment, and then I'm going to have the men pass out the elements. But just with your heads bowed, just in your heart, pray this with me. Lord, we ask that you just reveal anything in us that would hinder the unifying work of Jesus. Anything in us, Lord, reveal it to us. Anything, Lord, that is hindering other people from coming to saving faith. Anything, Lord, that is creating strife or disunity, Lord, that you'd show it to us. Lord, we lay it at the altar. Cleanse and forgive us. Lord, we desire that you bring restoration to our community and to our nation. Lord, Lord let it start with us. Let us be willing to speak truth, but speak it in love. And after thoughtful prayer, and Lord, and only after that, that we would be used the hands and feet of Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.